Hello, and you're very welcome to The Week That Really Was with John McGurk and a returning Sarah Ryan, who is back from her holidays. I'll ask her about that in a moment. But I also have the good news this week that we are joined by a returning guest, somebody who made a big impression when she was on this show when it was me and David Quinn. Um, that is Leisha Ieda de Bruin from thecountess.ie. So we'll be talking to Leisha in a moment. But before I do that, I want to ask Sarah how her holidays were, because you weren't with us last week. I had the pleasure of being joined by my colleague, Ben Scallon. But I won't deny I missed you. No offense to Ben. Uh, so how, how how was your trip? Uh, it was great, yeah. The kids had a ball. I, as I told you earlier on, I got stung by a bee, so that was great. Um, <laughs> didn't put too much of a dampener on it. No, it was great. It was really nice to get away because we haven't brought the kids away anywhere in a few years because it was illegal for a while there. Yeah, and they're okay. they're they're also very little. Um, so yeah. I'd say I'd say being on holiday with three with three kids, you must be, but um dum dish knackered. Yeah. Segway, you're getting better. You're getting better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but I am indeed, but I am indeed knackered. We are going to talk about the whole knackergate thing that happened this week in a moment, folks. And we're also going to talk to Leisha about um the bill that her organization has co-sponsored with AIM2 or drafted in conjunction with AIM2, which is moving forward in the doll this week in relation to women in male body people in female prisons. But before we get to that, there is a little bit of a breaking story this evening, which is that Ryan Tuberty apparently was entirely unaware of how much he was being paid. And RTE were unaware of how much he was being paid. It transpires that over the last number of years, Ryan Tuberty has been paid. 350,000 euros, more than uh, the public were led to believe that he had been paid. RTE put, put out a statement this evening, um, Thursday the 22nd of June, saying that they're deeply embarrassed and ashamed and they've let the public down by not telling them how much Ryan Tuberty has been paid. And Ryan Tuberty has put out a statement uh, basically saying that he's very sorry to be the centre of attention, but it's not really his fault because, uh, you know, he, RTE didn't tell anyone what he's being paid. Uh, do you think, before I ask Alicia, Sarah, do you think that'll wash? No, I think Tuberty, I just don't think it's believable whatsoever that you had no idea how much you're being paid. Um, not at these vast amounts. Maybe if you're off, your yearly figure was off by a grand or two. Yeah, fine. But we're talking about hundreds of years for a couple of years. I, no, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't I know if he's saying, I don't know if he's saying he didn't know how much he's being paid. I think he might be saying... I knew how much I was being paid, but it wasn't really my job to tell anyone. And if or she put out the wrong figures, that's nothing to do with me. That was my interpretation but, of what he said, which I think is I, worse. But, but I think that the first year it happened, maybe. But he, like, I, I think there's an ethical issue there that he should have corrected the record, or at least corrected it, had it corrected, corrected for the next year. Or like, raise raise an internal query within RTE, obviously, to say why are you putting out this figure? It's not right. Exactly, and Ryan Tuberty has publicly come out and associated a moral virtue with his taking a pay cut in the past. So you can't be talking about how your pay cut and, you know, you're thinking about that, like your anxiety levels about homeless children and all, like was giving you, it, it may encourage you to take a pay cut, but then at the other hand, say that it's not your problem if people are paying, overpaying you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's extraordinary. Leisha, I'm going to ask you your opinion. First of all, very welcome back to the show. It's great to have you with us. Um, we'll get on to the stuff that you probably wanted to talk about more in a few minutes. But do you have any thoughts on the latest RTE scandal? I find it extraordinary that that's the best that the PR machine could come up with. I mean, it's like the cat ate my homework or the dog ate my homework, isn't it? It's just not very credible. Um, and I concur with what Sarah said. You can't have it both ways. You know, you can't be public on a particular issue and then when it doesn't when it doesn't suit you retreat you know uh, I don't think that works um so yeah I, I think this story might have legs because I just don't think the public are going to buy that really yeah I, I I agree I think Ryan Tuberty might be in some trouble I mean I think there will be efforts to protect him from it because I, I presume RTE consider him of value in terms of their listenership war with Today FM and others in his slot in the morning, but uh, I think that I think he's going to have a, he's going to suffer a serious loss of credibility with members of the public because most people I think with stories like this, the, you know, the the ins and outs outs of it don't matter. All they hear is somebody was getting three hundred and fifty grand they probably shouldn't have been getting. Uh, effectively, most people I'm not saying this is accurate, but people will think of it as money under the table. I don't think that's what it is, but that's how I think pu the public will think of it. I think he's going to have a very difficult job you know, holding the public to account on the rare occasions he interviews politicians about, you know, their behaviour uh, on front of this. So I think he's in. But I, 
But I also think that this is probably going to run and going to be bigger than him. Yeah. Like the the the, the so far what we know the the explanation or the 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 system here seems to have been that they would pay they would give a credit note to external groups or external companies who would then pay Ryan Tuberty directly. I find it difficult to believe that that's the only time they've ever used that format if they're in the business of doing that. And therefore, yes. that might have been happening with other people in RTE. And I think that the whole thing, right in the midst of, I mean, like their slogan is truth matters, you know, like, and right in the middle of them, you know, not calling the government to account on a cost of living crisis, not calling the government to account on a, on a, on a, on a bill that's going through the door that's actually limiting speech. And in a climate where people are struggling to pay their bills and frankly, most more distrustful of the media than ever before and fed up with paying a license fee that RT are desperately lobbying the, com- the government to try and get be, to be paid through revenue. I think in the midst of all of that, this could turn into a shitstorm of epic proportions that RT might be in serious trouble across the board. Forget Tuberty. I think this could end up being way bigger than him. Well, wouldn't that be just terrible? Wouldn't I, mean, I, for one, I, for one, would shed a tear. <laughs> I mean, it's worth saying that Ryan Tuberty shares an agent, uh, as many RT stars do. I mean, there are two or three people who are agents for all the RT stars in there. So I presume if somebody has worked this contract for Ryan Tuberty, it is a reasonable question to ask whether other people have had similar contracts. But that will all emerge over the next week. Mark Coleman, the eminent economist and writer, has been sending some interesting tweets on this this evening. So we might try, uh, Sarah, and get Mark on next week if the story is still running. I'm sure it will be. But for now, we will move on. Uh, I joked with Sarah at the beginning of the program that whether she was knackered. Um, somebody who <laughs> we've had an incident this week uh, with somebody actually being knackered in the court of public opinion for describing themselves that way. Um, the word, obviously, the the noun knacker is an offensive slur for members of the traveling community, and that's well known in Ireland. But that word derives from the profession, which used to be getting rid of animals which were no longer fit for service. And the phrase, I am knackered, doesn't refer to travellers at all. It refers to being unfit for any further use and ready to be uh, melted down into glue. But nonetheless, um, there was an apology over that this week. Um, Sarah, what was your take on it? Well, my take is that it was a huge mistake to apologise. And I mean, look, he's a singer. He probably doesn't care. You know, he's just like doesn't want the hassle and that's fine. But I just think at some point we need to stop bowing down to this kind of nonsense. And, you know, like a senator more like offended and calling for the apology and the withdrawal of a singer who said a word like that in the midst of all of the other things that are going around, going on in the world is pathetic. And we, we need to stop kowtowing to it at this point. I, I think he should have refused to apologize. But, you know, I would. It's a nonsense and it's it's about the slow not even slow it's still we'll call it rapid now the rapid the rapidly advancing policing of speech that's you know the fact that this person that a senator thinks that they have the the moral authority and the kind of social clout to come out and a demand an apology like that is tells us exactly where we are and I'm just mortified for everyone concerned. And, and an apology we got, she got. We we're talking, of course, about Dermot Kennedy, the singer, who uh, made these comments. Um, were you offended, Leisha, on behalf of anyone by them? Um, no, I wasn't. You, have, I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever described yourself as being knackered? I absolutely have. And I hate to be an absolute pedant, but like the pedant, but the point is, like, it's the difference between a noun and a verb. He used it as a verb, which is clearly means it's a, an allusion to, um, you know, the knacker's yard, which he then explained. He didn't use it as a noun, um, firstly, but also um, this kind, I'm sick of this manufactured artificial outrage that frankly is really bad for society. It takes the place of actual adv- advocacy. It's not actual advocacy. Like I am, you know, I actually agree with structuralism insofar as I think that, it's real and it constrains people. So there are things... I'm going to stop you there. You're going to have to explain structuralism to me. So there yeah. are constraints, like we are constrained by the structures around us. So they could be, for example, race, or there, there are reasons um, that are perhaps built into the system that, that explain why the traveling community leaves school earlier, have, you know, worse outcomes. 
perhaps in terms of literacy or employment or whatever. And these are the structures, there are structures that constrain them. However, this level of top-down outrage and kind of signal signaling and wokeism does not actually um, help the situation on the ground in the same way as you know you could you could say this for for race in general or for poverty you know it, it's so easy to kind of get so exercised about the use of words and that's very post-structuralist you know where the wording and the language is what matters not the reality mm. and that's where I don't agree with that kind of new social justice warrior class where it's all about words and language and it's not about doing anything making any sort of effort to actually change the actual lives of people on the ground yeah i mean my take on this for what it's worth is that a lot of people calling for an apology weren't remotely offended that it's yeah. it's performative that there are people out there who are looking for an opportunity to show that they are morally and socially better than the rest of us by calling for an apology by some for or an apology for something which they didn't really find offensive, but they're actually seeking the apology on behalf of others, which is sort of ties into the whole ongoing debate about the hate speech bill, because this idea that words are offensive if you decide that they're offensive is at the core of the hate speech bill, where hate is entirely subjective. And in this case, a word that basically, no, a phrase, not a word, a phrase that basically nobody in the country thinks is offensive and, and is used by tens of thousands of people, I think, every hour let alone every day um it, it's just somebody deciding to create a controversy for their for their own benefit and i i'm worried in terms of the hate speech bill leisha that that's what we're going to see moving forward i fully expect that once that bill becomes law as it likely will we're going to start seeing people reporting people to the guardy for things that they actually don't find hateful but think that there's an opportunity to do somebody in i think there's a lot of that about at the moment uh, and I'm concerned about it. But what do you guys in the contest think about the, the hate speech bill? Well, and specifically in terms of our constituency, we're very concerned that people who have gender critical views will be harassed um, and it will be used to harass us. And certainly that has been the case in Norway, in Northern Ireland, in Scotland and in um, the UK, where ordinary people who have said things like, you know, a woman cannot have a penis um, men cannot be lesbians you know they have got that knock on the door that phone call and they have been hauled before the courts um um are arrested or threatened with arrest and this is where it's not actually necessary to end up in jail the process is the punishment um mm -hmm. so in terms of you know those views and i wouldn't even call them special i think they're completely mainstream they're the majority views of the people of ireland that you it's impossible to change sex that a man cannot be a woman the a child no child is born in the wrong body and they are majority mainstream views but the way this legislation has been drafted, there's a complete lack of symmetry. So essentially, someone who is transidentified can say that, you know, what I am saying, any of those sentences I've just said, they are hate speech and that they they perceive that hate. And this is the next issue with it. The test is it's it's subjective. It's just perceived by one of these people from, who are afforded protected the um, status. So with regard to the debate that, you know, we're at the forefront of, there are two different sets of opinions, but only the people who are transidentified are afforded this protection. So there's a lack of symmetry. So of course it's wide open to be abused and to use used as a tool to harass us. But generally, I mean, it's just it's just um, a dog's dinner. I don't have any other legalese words for it. Like the um, it completely tramples over to the pillars of any liberal democracy, not least her own. But these are guaranteed in our constitution, which are the presumption of innocence under you know under criminal charge and freedom of expression. So they're trampled on. Um, and also like the test is demonstration of motivation. So intention is not necessary. Um, possession is enough. So you can literally just be sent something, decide not to send it on or have something in your home. And that is enough to meet the threshold, which is extraordinary. So then you're in the kind of premise of pre-crime, thought crime, and the extraordinary powers of search and seizure, the police can literally go to your apartment, go to your flat, go to your home and demand all your devices of you and your flatmates, whoever you live with, and demand your passwords. Demand your passwords. Passwords or <laughs> devices. Oh, passwords. Sorry. It's extraordinary. I'm surprised I mean, it's, it's not like passwords. It's, it's so Orwellian. Um, and I think that... Unfortunately, what's behind it is exactly what we're talking about a moment ago. It's a, it's an, a device to punish people who have the wrong sorts of opinions. And 
you know, anyone who's pay, been paying any sorts of attention to history will know that the popular opinion or the mainstream opinion can change over time. Like it's a very dangerous device to sort of say that there's wrong think and right think and um would and, and also that's only some groups of people in society should be afforded protection from so-called hate speech, which again hasn't is not defined anywhere in the bill. There's no definition of hate. Well, I'll tell you, um, uh, uh, before I come to Sarah on this, I mean, I think the only way to resist this bill, and I think it has to be resisted, is to completely ignore it. So my pledge here and now is that the day that uh, our eminent and very outspoken president signs this into law without a murmur of complaint, as he will, um, I'm going to publish an editorial titled Women uh, Can't Have Penises. Because it's, I have it's to really applaud you for that, because I will never forget the terror in wanting to publish and talk about Barbara Kardashian in the early days of the contest. And you were the only outlet, actually, that were prepared to walk that gauntlet. And I really want to applaud you for that because, you know, others didn't. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And we'll keep doing it because, some, it, 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 you know, that's what the I think that's I think that's what the press is for, to be honest. But uh, I, I think we're in a minority in that discussion. Sarah, what about you? Are you going to walk around Dublin with banners saying uh, women can't have penises or in more as equally eminently men cannot have um, vaginas? Maybe. I mean, I, I don't... <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not daring you. I'm not daring yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's, what's, uh, but, but, no, I mean, I'm not going to change any of my... Bit, like, I'm not going to change anything that I do or say. I, I mean, I think that, like, not only is it, you know, a morally bad law and all of that, it's also just bad law. It's bad, badly written. There's, it lacks definition. It's probably deliberately vague uh, so that it can be used as a tool to drive whatever agenda whoever is in charge is. I mean, it's, you know, it's, as Leisha said, it's, it's Orwellian stuff. I mean, if you'd said to me 10 years ago that we would be having a conversation about this kind of law, I would have said absolutely under no circumstances would this ever wash. And yet here we are. Um, like a, The only thing I've noticed is that there is a number of people, like I saw Lisa Chambers coming out against it the other day. Um, you know, people, I, I don't think the government realised how much backlash they were actually going to receive about it. I think it has gone mainstream in people's opposition to it. I think the public are more aware of it than they expected them to be. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that's sort of comforting. But, I mean, again, like, this will be a thing that will be used. I mean, it'll be interesting to see, like, how it works. Because my expectation would be the likes of Leisha and the Countess will just be reported by somebody for hate speech within 30 seconds of their law being yeah. signed. <laughs> so, like, yeah. so, so how, how is that going to work? Like, are they just going to be absolutely inundated with, because, you know, I'm not particularly bored in my life or whatever, but like, I'd almost be tempted to start reporting, because it's such a nonsense, to start reporting people that I don't like. Like, what's, if hate is undefined, I mean, I really don't like the word moist. Maybe I start being offended by that. If people write that on Twitter, maybe I'm going to start reporting that. But it's it's, it's no it's no more absurd than anything else, John. No, do you it's, know what I mean? it, like it's it's not. But I do want. I, I do, do. Do either of you agree with me that this bill might be in a little bit of trouble? Because I, I was thinking about this today, and it, uh, the comparison I have, which is an apt one, because Leisha is is with us, is to the um, is to the gender recognition bill, which passed in I think 2015. And then no one was paying attention. No one was paying any attention. But the opposition in the Shannon uh, at the time was, I think, from memory, just about as erudite and as well constructed as the opposition has been this week. And it's been phenomenally well constructed. But no one was paying any attention. And the other parallel is that the media at the time were all quietly either ambivalent or rooting for passage of the thing and therefore weren't giving it much attention, just as RTE have given basically no attention to this piece of legislation. And I think there has, I think that the backlash here is reflective of the shift, Sarah, that you and I often talk about that's undergoing underway in Irish society, where people are suddenly more aware of this stuff and more opposed to it than they were, because the gender recognition bill sailed through with basically no public opposition, whereas Regina Doherty said this week she's basically getting emails about nothing else, and the backlash, this is Regina Doherty now saying that was really serious, but her phraseology was, it's not only the far right who are objecting to it. So it's not just the three of us who are all, of course, <laughs> defined, defined defined by various actors as far right, even though um, I don't think that's true, at least of Leisha, maybe you and I or Sarah. I, I, think, oh. it might be, I think it might be in trouble. 
Um, I think I think I think there is the possibility when you've got somebody like Leisha Chambers, who is the loyalist loyalist to Meepon Martin, suggesting a delay. Um, I think there's genuine nervousness. I was talking to two TDs today who who thought there was genuine nervousness within government about whether there was wisdom in continuing to pass this bill. I assume they'll do it anyway, rather than admit mm. defeat. But I think there is no genuine nervousness there. I feel like, though, even if it does go through based purely on arithmetic, I mean, they can't say they didn't know. And that's quite powerful. You know, it's like putting the putting them on notice because I do believe they did think it was going to be a slam dunk. But I totally agree with your analogy that it's like uh, the lead up to the 2015 um, gender self-ID, because, I mean, there was just a sense that um, certainly the media were just on board and behind it. And, and that's true in this instance as well. And I. But I think back then people didn't really understand what they were, you know, what they were getting and what it meant in real terms. Like it was framed as on one hand, um, the very best possible thing, the necessary thing for a tiny handful of vulnerable people to live their best lives. Um, it was also meant to be the kind of new um, paradigm in international human rights, but also just merely a piece of admin that impacted no one else. I mean, it can't be all those things. But I mean, at the time, I must admit, I didn't really know what it was or understand it. Um, and obviously was horrified when I worked it out a few mm. years later. But um, certainly, I, like t like I have heard, like TDs said at the time when it was um, first moving through the door, this is the hate crime speech. Um, you know, they said, oh, we couldn't, we can't possibly speak up. And then they said, this is what they said privately, but on the record, they said, we hope that the Shannon will bring forward the amendments that are necessary. So that's completely like handing yeah. over their job to the upper house. I mean, that's not okay. And it just tells you there's already a chilling impact in, in our society about what, what people can talk about and what they can't talk about. You know, it's their job. Like who do they, what do they think their job is? Their job is to represent the concerns of citizens of this country. Mm -hmm. And instead they just feel like they can't open their mouths and do that and do their job. Well, and that is that is of course the intent of the bill moving forward. But there's another bill um, that was announced in the Dáil this week, which is related, uh, and that's why you're on the program, Leisha, because Patrick Tobin and yourself had a press conference on. I think it was Tuesday, um, maybe Wednesday. But I think it was Tuesday of this week, in which yeah. you uh, uh, unleashed a bill um, which would, and correct me if I'm wrong, it would ban the state from accommodating biological males in female prison um, yes so. and it would operate uh retroactively as well so i uh was lucky enough to draft it myself um because well that was a treat because this has been my life's work for a good few years now um and you know one of the i suppose not disappointing but it was um chastening kind of things i learned was that for a lot of people the women who are incarcerated you know they, they're so dehumanized already that no one really, a lot of people don't care about their plight. So I do think maybe that's why self-ID is rolled out in prisons first in all self-ID jurisdictions to normalize it, to normalize the concept of mixed-sex prisons. And so with this drafting of this bill, what I've done is I've just uh, essentially unlatched the effect of the gender recognition certificate from prisons from the prison rules so effectively i've tried to just been quite minimalist and elegant with it but essentially it limits the scope of what a gender recognition certificate can can do because as we all know the state via the irish prison service is completely like it's their hands are tied i mean they have to treat any man at all who has a gender recognition certificate as though they were female and therefore has, has them in a female prison in Ireland. Well, they are, that's because the Gender Recognition Act makes them legally female. They're, 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 they're I mean, uh, I, I often... They're not seen any different. Yeah, yeah I, I often say there that I could literally sign a piece of paper tomorrow and be as much a woman in law as you are. Um, and that's true. I would be every bit, I mean, it, you know, there's, there's nothing about you, Sarah, that would make you more woman than me if I decided in the morning that I wanted to be just like you. That is the law of the land as it stands. Now, I'm not sure that most people would agree, looking at the two of us side by side, that I would be just as much woman as you. But if I think it, the state says that's what I can be. So I presume you're in broad agreement with Leisha's bill. Me, yes. Um, absolutely. I mean, the prison thing, like Leisha makes a good point, and it is that like there is definitely 
people get most vexed about things as they start to affect them. That's why the gender ID coming in, people thought it was a sort of a, you know, a small token gesture just to right the le- a legal wrong that was being inflicted on a small minority of the people without any kind of awareness of the knock on effect. And that's why I think personally that, you know, and Leisha mentioned earlier on that, you know, these are now more mainstream views that, you know, a, a, a woman doesn't have a penis and all that kind of crazy stuff. And um, but part of that, I think, is because of the overreach that started to happen in the schools. But when it first started, you know, in the prisons, there is definitely a dehumanization of women who are in prisons and people just don't really care because it doesn't affect them. But the reality of it is, is that, you know, back in the the time Leisha is talking about with Barbie Kardashian and that, like, people thought that this was kind of a, like, I don't think people thought this was ever going to be a reality. I don't think they thought it was real. And then I think that the Barbie Kardashian thing, the Barbie Kardashian was this such a kind of a caricature almost. It was like, yeah, 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 but that's not going to happen. And so I think that this bill is, I, I totally agree with it, but I think it's also important because it's drawing attention to people that this has been happening, mm. does happen. And and it's the first, it's the first point of of awareness that people had about this affecting you know women um but i also think that i don't know i mean i think that i don't know what leisha would say and i'd be curious as to leisha's view on on what kind of support they think this bill is going to get um is every politician just going to be afraid of their life to vote for this or how does she see it playing out so um I mean, we get five minutes uh, to uh, on the floor to introduce it, and then we need to get 10 TDs to co- co-sign it to get to the next stage. Um, so, I mean, I don't want to say this about our bill, but it is largely uh, um, symbolic insofar as, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, it's important to put this out there and therefore force a debate in the public sphere, which is what we've been doing from the start. And to your point about Barbara Kardashian, I feel that's so key. People assume this was an aberration. You know, people were so um, indoctrinated into the trans orthodoxy in this country that they said, you know, in the popular imagination, these men, I'm sorry, I will just call them men, but, you know, these were highly vulnerable, possibly proto-gay, no risk at all to women and one of the girls. In actual fact, and this is the data across all self-ID jurisdictions, they are four times more likely to be... um, sex, sexual predators, sex offenders than the ordinary male prison population. Now, well, I, I, my favorite, I'm going to interrupt you there because I, I, the, my favorite statistic on all of this, which I think the listeners need to familiarize with themselves with and be able to, to recite if they're ever talking about this at a dinner table, for example, is that in California, where it is legal for transgender people to move prison, um, since they introduced that bill, that law, the same law we have here in terms of accommodating prisoners, 300 prisoners have announced that they are male to female and moved into female prison. Do you know how many transgender men, i.e. women who have become men, have applied to move to male prison? None. Not not, none. not, not a single one. I was going to say none, but I didn't want to be too presumptuous. There yeah, might have been one random that, one. That, 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 that to me says it all, because, I mean, if you, I'm, I'm guessing that if either of you ladies found yourselves incarcerated, not that I could imagine that ever happening, but if it did happen, I can't imagine you'd want to be stuck in a prison with a whole load of men. I think you might feel unsafe. Um, but I can well imagine a, a, a male sex offender who knows that he doesn't need to pass any psych exam, doesn't need to um, prove in any way that he is who he says he is and can just sign a piece of paper saying, I am a woman, therefore I need to be accommodated with women. I can well imagine that happening and the evidence seems to back me up on that um so i i think i think Nisha, you're correct and i think instinctively i know you have the figures to back up the fact that a lot of these people are perverts uh to you <laughs> raw language Look, either 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 it's the case that transidentified male prisoners are more likely um in fact four times more likely to be sexual predators or sexual predators are using this loophole to avoid doing their time in the male estate. And why wouldn't they? They have absolutely nothing to lose and there's no gatekeeping. So nobody's going to stop them um, acquiring a gender recognition certificate, even if they're on remand for rape in this country. I mean, that is in itself is just so shocking. Like sometimes I feel like we're in the upside down because, you know, a moment ago in our society, we were locking up rapists and pedophiles to keep women safe. And now we're putting those men, if they say the magic words, I'm a woman, in with women. 
And we're afraid to even say anything about it. Sorry, sorry. sorry. And we're all afraid to even call it out. Like it's the emperor's new clothes. Like, you know, it's not just that they're putting them in with women, but they're also terrified to even comment on it. You know? Yeah. Like we have long regarded, we have long regarded the granting of a recognition certificate as just an access all area pass for transgressor dressers, sports cheats, chancers, and of course, predators. I have to ask you this question though, Alicia, um, and it's, uh, I think it's important because for me, um, your bill is, is very good and welcome, but it doesn't go far enough. I mean, why is it limited only to prisons? Because it should be in well, my, in my it, it, uh, yeah, well, in my initial drafting, it was, uh, it also included um, the exemptions in equality legislation. So basically to try to um, limit its ability to interact with the exemptions around sex and gender under equality legislation. So what that essentially means legally is that you are allowed to discriminate on the basis of sex in this country when it comes to things like privacy or sports. So I, I initially had wanted to do that, but I think the thinking is to do it incrementally, which I also do agree with, because I have to say, the, when you take a step back and look at how uh, trans activists have gotten laws changed in so many countries, they never asked for everything up front. They certainly didn't say, oh, oh, guys, what we really want is for men with penises who say the women to be able to go into your, your daughter's changing rooms. You know, they, they were very, very clever and strategic. And I think that's what we have to be as well, because sadly, a lot of this has become normative. You know, there's there's a technical impact and recognition act things like the word woman being removed from um, maternity legislation aggressively and retroactively because it has to um, include women who identify as men. Now, I don't necessarily buy that, but that's that was what we were told. So there's a technical impact because all the other legislation has to then be aligned with it. But I feel in Irish society, there's been a much more uh, dark, diffuse impact of this because Firstly, service providers and indeed schools have gone way beyond even the wildest dreams of the trans lobby groups, as in they're not even saying anymore that boy in that school who says he's a girl, he can use the girl's toilets. They're even just literally getting rid of the whole concept of girls only toilets in new builds in Ireland. In every new new build, the, the, there's a, a very aggressive attempt to make all the toilets mixed sex. And even in stores like in Penny's, they don't even have girls' female changing rooms anymore. And lo and behold, within minutes, there were men holding their mobile phones under the curtain of the mixed sex changing rooms, where we all know 12 and 13 and 14 year old girls like to go and shop and uploading that footage onto Pornhub. So what happens is in society, once you say men can be women and there's no need for single sex provision to keep women and girls safe and to provide you know privacy and dignity, that creates a very, I think, dark, damaging paradigm shift that's unfortunately almost mainstreaming so we do have a battle on our hands but i always just remind myself that the the nine out of ten people in ireland agree with us these are majority mainstream views there's just a tiny tiny percentage who shout very loud and have access to government i think if it was me and i'm not criticizing your bill i think your bill is excellent and everyone should vote for it i'm not sure that they will because of what we discussed earlier on in the program but if it was me i would just one line gender recognition act 2015 abolished done and make all the arguments. I think that would be that 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 is ultimately, I think, what where we need to get. And I think we we may get there eventually, Sarah, because we're already seeing in the UK, for example, they've banned um, uh, puberty blocking drugs for kids, which is an over an overdue step, uh, and that's happening in a lot of US states. So the the culture is starting. Like sometimes you have to have faith in people because a lot of people in this country and around the world where this was introduced, it was introduced much like it was here with basically no. Um, debate and no, no, no sort of discussion of the consequences, and it is slowly starting to move back in the other direction. I think, I hope. What do you think? Definitely, and I think that it came like I can remember distinctly having a conversation with a cousin of mine who, like three years ago, and I was talking about all these potential knock-on effects in sport and stuff, and he was kind of saying he was kind of for want of a better word ridiculing me and saying oh this is like alarmist stuff none of that's ever going to happen and you know so I think that as these things have started to evolve and become more mainstream and you're seeing these things happening I think that you're absolutely right and we've talked about this ourselves that I have become more and more open about saying what I think on this issue whatever to a random stranger's I say it in taxis, I say it wherever. I have never had somebody push back and say they don't agree with me, ever. Not one time. 
Not one time has anyone ever said, oh, hold on a second now. I agree that there should be um, uh, uh, transgender women in women's sports or I think that we should have uh, this or that in school, talk, teach this to children. Never once has anyone ever like pushed back against what I'm saying. And I think that the sport thing is really, I mean, the cyclist race, non-race or whatever that nonsense was a couple of weeks ago and some a transgender female being, what was the, at one point, how many miles ahead? I mean, oh, no, he was lapping the women by one day at one point. By a day. day. And the thing, the thing about this, Leisha, and I was actually tweeting with somebody about this earlier on and I was talking to Keith about it and I was saying, like, imagine this scenario, right, where, the year is 2035 and AI has developed so it is now so advanced that we have synthetic uh, six foot seven male robot types who are doing all the manual labor, working on the road or whatever. But they're intelligent. So after a certain time, they say, well, like we'd actually like to start getting involved in sports and we'd like to, you know, race and whatever. And they're clearly physically more capable than human beings. Would they be allowed, would transgender people be allowed, transgender women be okay with them entering the race when they're clearly superior and going to win? Would they hell? Do you know what I mean? Like it's it's the same the same thing as what's happening to women, that somebody, an a, a person who is physically stronger, physically better than you is entering the race and winning. And that's would be the same thing with a robot. So why like it wouldn't happen. And that's what's happening at the moment. And I think people are seeing it. I think people are seeing people who wouldn't win men who wouldn't win against men who want to feel like winners entering into women's sports. And God, like it was only two or three years ago we were trying to get kind of more publicity for female soccer and more publicity for this. And now, sure, let's just call the whole thing off. Like, you know, it's just absurd. And I think people see it for what it is. And I think that there is a change. The only thing that is different, John, or that's not different, is that people are still a little bit afraid to speak up. And lo and behold, just when they're starting to get a bit more confident in speaking up, what comes around the corner? A hate speech bill. Isn't that convenient? I I think as well, for me, this is almost the transgender debate has two different strands to it. There's what we're talking about, which is the sort of intrusion into female spaces by biological men, which is is naturally what you guys, Leisha, in the contest focus on the most. And it is the most immediate threat to women. But the other thing, the other element of it, which, which I want to talk about a little bit as well, um, agreeing with all of that, is the is the is the situation with the hate speech bill and the transgender lobby and schools and young people. Because the last time you were on the show, Leisha, we talked a little bit about the explosion in teenage girls um, identifying as men or as boys, and that is continuing apace. And so it seems to me that the two most active Groups are middle-aged men on one side deciding that they're women, but almost more troubling, troublingly, young girls deciding that they don't want to be girls anymore. Um, and I, I, the reason why I think the gender recognition bill has to go is because it kind of facilitates that latter. You described it in the past, I think, as social contagion, where you've got all these girls in school. I mean, that, I, I speak to a lot of teachers, and there are very few schools now that don't have four or five students. Um, mainly girls, almost always girls, identifying as boys and wanting to go down the road of taking hormones and getting surgery and all that sort of irreversible stuff with all the consequences that it has. So uh, while I have you here, uh, Leisha, I wanted to ask you about that and do you think if there's anything legislatively that can be done and, and where you guys are focused on in relation to it? Yeah, so we do a lot of work in this area and we've worked in a group um, called Schools and Safeguarding and it has two heads and one would be around social transition and medical transition and the other side is the indoctrination head and they they sort of go hand in hand. However, you know, in terms of dealing with this legislatively, well, none of those trans-identified children can possibly have acquired a Gender Recognition Act because as things stand, um, the Sinn Féin-sponsored Private Members Bill, which does seek to uh, bring self-ID, spread it downwards to children with or without parental consent. It seems to be in the long grass, but there is obviously an appetite government for that. But as things stand, no child in a second child will have acquired that um, piece of paper. But what we're dealing with here is something more diffuse, and it's in the ideological. Uh, it's the full cultural and institutional capture. But, uh, uh, you know, this ideology has essentially captured our culture. It has mainstreamed. Um, the trans-identified child had to be invented as a cover for those uh, 
late transitioning middle-aged men that you mentioned you know it, the child the transidentified child whilst it's clear there are one or two in every classroom practically in every school across Ireland it's not a Dublin phenomenon there's children um who have who are susceptible to this ideology a lot of them 80 percent of them will be same-sex attracted um and so if they're allowed to go through their normal puberty their natural puberty that that is actually the cure for gender dysphoria you know gender dysphoria is a sense that you are um unhappy with your sex body but what we're seeing is a huge cohort now of young girls who are expressing this um I also think as well a huge part of this is the indoctrination of school children whereby uh, you know the NCCA is without doubt completely captured it would appear as well so is the minister um and the whole department of education and we've been you know taking part in roadshows where we speak to parents on the ground in Ireland and there's just collective horror and I would say anger tangible palpable anger about how is it, how can it be that a country like Ireland is suddenly you know the, the national curriculum like that has been captured ideologically by extremely hard left uh, radical theories like queer theory and uh, critical race theory social justice theory and of course trans ideology and these are being embedded into the curriculum and trans ideology will it, it seems will be taught as fact and, and I, I I just want to say that schools are not pens for indoctrination of young people and teachers shouldn't be rolled out like foot soldiers for this ideology it is absolutely wrong and parents are not happy but there's, there seems to be a real attempt at um in the department to circumvent the very robust powers the parents have after all under the education act and under the constitution as the you know primary um, educators of the children so i think it feels a bit like an emergency in terms of what's happening in schools because we cannot you know let a whole generation uh, just come up through this and feel that you know and it's not transphobic to say that but it, it's such a harmful ideology and it's so contested and so harmful to society i feel it's a direct um attack at family at parents um it chews up and spits out vulnerable young people gay young people we should just pr protect and support to be happy in their own bodies and just be grow up to be same-sex attracted adults sarah uh, you were on holiday but did you happen to hear maybe you didn't um the the recording of the teacher in the uk Oh, I did. About the cat? Yeah, it wasn't just about the cat, though. It was basically the kids in the class were pushing back on this and saying, no, there are two genders. And the, the teacher was basically screaming at the kids, yeah. saying, no, yeah. that's a lie. There are there are at least three genders and people can pick their gender and gender and sex. I mean, it was astonishing to hear this relatively unintelligent teacher just, just repeating these mantras of a class of kids who were brave enough to say, no, you're talking nonsense. Um, and I worry that tapes like that are just what we happen to hear. I mean, because I've heard stories of similar kind of situations in classrooms in Ireland, and that's before the curriculum, um, which basically mandates this stuff, is brought in. Um, mm. So I, you are, uh, as you often mention, you're a parent of, of young kids who are going to be heading to school in a couple of years. Well, what, I mean, what, what do you plan on doing if, if that happens in your kid's school, as it may? Or is that, I don't, that's a, the the answer is I don't know, John. I mean, like, it's it's the 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 way that it, when I've looked into it in the past, the way that that kind of the teaching about gender and stuff is is rolled into the curriculum is is I assume deliberately such that it's very hard for you to extrapolate when it would happen. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So it's almost impossible for you to say you're just not going in today. Because that's what I would do. I mean, if I knew for a fact that some of that teaching was going to happen next Thursday, I just wouldn't send my kids to school. Yeah, but that's um, not how it works, though, is it? I mean, that, that's no. that's what's insidious about all this. It, it's not one day of the year. It's every day of the year. In in this particular month that we're in, it's every day of the month. It is. Yeah. It well, is it they've, is. Used, they've, they've used the Trojan horse of anti-bullying for quite some time because they know that you cannot take your child out of that class. That's quite clever of the trans lobby but now what they're trying to do is take it a step further and they're trying to merge rsc and sphe which means that um you will never know you won't be able to use the opt-out power that you do have as a parent you will never know when your child is going to be taught this and it, it, there's even resources for teachers that say things like you know um for example you could bring it up in history and say was joan of arc trans let's discuss children 
So you won't even know. You like it'll be so yeah. baked into the school day, and they're doing that on purpose, purposefully, obviously, to circumvent the the rights the parents do have in Ireland. Um, I mean, we have heard reports as well of children in Ireland identifying as cats, and I haven't been able to verify that independently yet. But I have a, have a good source who's told me that, mm. um, and that is happening in the UK already. I mean, and that is very worrying because I, I just find that you know it's it's not funny. It's quite serious. I mean, um, I, I, you mentioned something in passing there, which I think which I find extraordinary as a man when you mentioned the the discussions around was Joan of Arc trans. Because, you know, I'm a man, as I'm growing up and I'm looking to history in history class, I've got so many role models or potential role models. And, you know, knowing me, I probably picked the wrong ones. But you've got like Napoleon, the Duke of Wellington, Caesar, Brutus, you know, the, 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 the whole the whole Japan. There are very few female role models, very mm-hmm. few um, in, in history. Um, most of even Cleopatra ended up dead. Right. So there's, there's, there's there, there aren't that many. Joan of Arc is one. Um, and then there are people saying, well, maybe she was really a man, um, yeah. which which I think is is a gross attack attack on, you know, there are very few, uh, just objectively. I mean, there there are, there are, I mean, you could probably write 10 pages of them, but there are very well, very few well-known female figures in history. And, and there is this attempt to say that if somebody was a female and transgressed gender roles throughout history or stood out for a reason. And I've seen it said about Elizabeth I, for example, who famously didn't marry. I mean, there was at least one teacher in the UK who suggested that Elizabeth I might have been trans because she didn't conform to gender roles. Anne Boleyn had her head cut off because she turned out to be a man. I mean, why well, let's cancel it all. Like, let's just say everyone's trans. It's nonsense. But also, isn't there isn't there a hint there at how, uh, how, how, like, rest- like progressive this ideology really is because if it was really progressive you know it wouldn't uh argue that a woman who could possibly be a warrior or, you know a leader or transgress the constraints of you know gender of the role that like th- that's the argument that makes it that's what ma- makes her male do you notice I mean, that's that, what we move away from do you notice it never happens in reverse You'd never, no. there's no example that I can think of, of somebody saying, um, oh, well, um, Julius Caesar was handy around the house. Maybe he was really a woman. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Anyway, uh, we are, we are heading uh, towards time and it's been a good and illuminating discussion. Before we go, I wanted to get uh, your, both of your reactions to the tragic news breaking this evening that the submarine in the North Atlantic, um, which was visiting the Titanic, has been well they, they believe they found debris and wreckage on the sea bed uh, in relation to it uh, it's a story that kind of horrified me all week because i'm terrified of um the dark i'm not i'm not terrified of the dark but i'm terrified of being enclosed in the dark and not being able to get out that is um a buried alive kind of thing which is is what i think the world was transfixed by this week but in a way uh sarah the outcome is probably the second best beyond aside from rescue yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that if anybody was down there themselves or had a relative down there, like my understanding is that the the that kind of event happens at about 2,200 meters per second, you would be dead in a millisecond. It wouldn't even cross your mind. You wouldn't know what had happened. There would be no fear. It would be just Tony Soprano at the end of the Sopranos. You know, nothing. Springle so. So that's probably for the best. I think that the story, everyone was transfixed by it. I would then became transfixed by some of the horrible glee, like this kind of online of, you know, that they somehow deserve it because they're rich. It's so depressing and a real weird side of humanity comes out and things like this. Um, But yeah, I think you're right. I think it's horrific. And I, you know, that, the man with his son and that kid is only 19 years of age you know whatever about not to diminish other lives obviously they all matter but you know if you're 57 or 60 and you're you know you're an adventurer and you've like done all these you know you've gone to space and you've gone here and you've gone there I mean there's definitely a part of your adult brain that understands that one of these mad expeditions that you thoroughly enjoy doing might end your life you know that's part and part and parcel of it and You've obviously made peace with that, but 19 is no age to die. And um, the poor mother, I just keep thinking that that 
young boy, young man has a, a mother somewhere who's lost her husband and her son. And that's just horrific. So I had a theory, Leisha, that I was explaining to Sarah earlier on about the jokes, um, which is that I think that in a lot of cases, I mean, obviously there were some people who were just horrible. That's just the reality of the world we live in. But I think in a lot of cases, because this situation is so horrible, I think the jokes were kind of displacement. I think people, you know, if you they don't want to imagine themselves in that situation, so they need to dehumanize the people who are in it to make them kind of things and objects rather than people, which makes it harder to empathize with them therefore harder to imagine yourself being in that position. It's kind of a defensive mechanism. That is my very amateur psychological theory. Um, I'm not asking you because you're not a psychologist whether you think there's any merit in it, but what was your sort of general, I mean, there's no point asking, I mean, I, I guess I know. I talking. think, no, I think you're right. I think there there is um, no more than with the McCanns. I mean, there's this edge that comes along where people have to like dissociate from it because they don't want to even, you know, digest any of the horror or think it could ever apply to them and you know there is a kind of collective horror when something like this happens and the clock is ticking down and it just had the quality of like one of those his at the time historic but also they were deemed sort of almost glorious but failed victorian expeditions um and you know the public imagination was sort of captured and also because the social media it elevates that sense of you know we're all watching this together but that edge that comes in yeah i do think i think that is widely known there's a phenomenon there where people just you know they have to separate it from that that could happen to them they don't want to have empathy for those people they'd rather dehumanize them one because the, they don't want to think about it impacting them one of the u.s news channels had a, a countdown on the screen uh oxygen oh ox, oxygen countdown and they, they thankfully took it off the screen with about two hours to go but i was thinking is this new or in about 1897 if we'd had the same situation, would you have had some little five-year-old kid wearing breeches and a jaunty hat standing on the side of the road with newspapers shouting, two hours oxygen left? I think you might have. I think I think the um I think the, the sort of human fascination with the macabre is uh is enduring, unfortunately. Um anyway, that was my final thought. Oh, on that on that <laughs> on that <laughs> cheerful on yes. that Beautiful <laughs> note. Uh, I thank Leisha very much for taking the time to join us this week and wish you the best of luck with the, I think, overdue and badly needed bill that you yeah. put forward. I'm not sure how much success it will have in the current political environment, but I do think it will have success in the long run because I think people are are talking more about this stuff. And I think the hate speech bill, I, thought, I want me to end on an optimistic note, Sarah, I think it's a sign of fear. Uh, from the establishment. I think it should be welcomed. I think the fact that they're, they they feel the need to do this shows that they're afraid of the direction in which the public mood is running on these issues. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think we should, we should take it. We should take it as that. So hopefully next week we'll have a more cheery week that really was. But for now, from Sarah, from me and from Leisha, thanks very much for listening and we'll see you in a week's time. <laughs>